welcome to Confessions of a Free Bird podcast. I'm your host, Lori James, a mother, divorcee, recovering caregiver, the author of Sandwiched, a memoir of holding on and letting go, a therapy junkie, relationship coach, somatic healer, and now podcaster. I'm a free spirit and here to lift you up. On this podcast, I'll share soulful confessions and empowering conversations with influential experts so you can learn to spread your wings and make the most of your second half. So pop in those earbuds, turn up the volume, and let's get inspired because my mission is to help you create your most joyful, purpose-driven life, one confession at a time. Hello, Freebirds. Before we dive into today's topic, I wanted to make my confession, and that is I am a therapy junkie and go to therapy regularly, but I didn't always believe in therapy. In fact, I didn't start therapy until my mid-40s, but I have to say it's been one of the best decisions that I have made in life and something that I continue to go back to. And the therapist that I work with now does a lot more body work because what I have found is that talk therapy only got me so far. I had to try different modalities to really get in to my trauma and heal that trauma. And that is somatic work and bioenergetics, EMDR. Those have been life-changing for me. And I wanted to share that with you before I introduce my guest today. I am so excited about my guest today. And I know that you will be too. We are talking with Tina Hartney, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She works with adults and specializes primarily in couples therapy and trauma. Tina's advanced training includes bioenergetics analysis, which combines somatic and relational work, emotionally focused therapy, gestalt, and EMDR. Tina's office is in Hermosa Beach, California, and she offers primarily in-person and virtual therapy On top of this, Tina is also a dear friend of mine, and we have known each other for how many years now? Oh, at least 10. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, at least 10. And if I may say, we actually used to run into each other in our therapist's office, because at the time when we were both struggling with our marriages, we were both going to the same therapist. So I think this is the perfect topic for us to discuss and to share with our listeners. So welcome, Tina. Thank you so much, Lori. It's so nice to be here. As I was preparing for this conversation, I was looking at some statistics and it's very interesting on some of the statistics that I found that women were more likely than men to have received any mental health treatment in the last 12 months, which for women is a little over 25%. And for men, it's just over 14%. So that's about a 10, 11% difference. 
And the most common type of mental health treatment, this was actually surprising to me, is prescription medicine at just over 13% of individuals. So tell me what your thoughts are about those statistics. Well, they don't surprise me. And I don't want to stereotype, but traditionally women are more open to digging deep into their feelings and being curious. And although I have to say, I really feel like a lot of men out there are starting to express more interest in therapy, particularly in couples therapy. It's a good introduction for them. And oftentimes they'll seek individual therapy after. But the statistic about medication is a tough one because sometimes people deal with depressive symptoms by medication alone. And studies show that the gold standard for treating depression that needs medication is to combine it with therapy, that that's going to give people the optimal result versus just doing medication alone. Or therapy alone, right? Well, therapy alone, it just depends on how severe the depression is. Got it. I love that. That's great insight. My next question is, what's the biggest misnomer about therapy? Oh, that one is only crazy people go to therapy. And then the other one is only weak people go to therapy, right? And then we have things like what happens in the family stays in the family. You don't share our dirty laundry with strangers. Right. Well, and for our era, also, we weren't really raised with therapy. That wasn't necessarily a resource for us. I know for me, when I was having struggles in my relationship, in my marriage, I thought at times that I should be able to handle it by myself. And so it kind of goes back to what you said. I did feel a little weak of like, why do I need support? I don't have that mindset anymore. And I believe we all need support at various times in our lives and have used those resources because I admit I'm a therapy junkie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, it is important because we really are not built to be alone in our struggle. It does take a village. I don't know if that's an overused saying, but just admitting that we need the help is sometimes more difficult than trying to white knuckle it on our own. Yeah. Well, and going back to your other comment or the statistics about men versus women, I can remember when I first went into couples therapy with my ex-husband and he was very worried about running into people in the waiting room. Right. Because the shame of it. The shame. Yes. And so it's so important for us to continue to get this word out and reduce the shame around therapy and around getting mental health support. What I find very encouraging is how so many of the television shows and movies are incorporating therapists in their stories exposing this the new generations or younger generations as a normal thing that people do in their lives. And oftentimes they do use stereotypes or it's a little unrealistic, but it's normalizing it. And I think that's really being reflected in our youth today who, you know, a lot of them are reaching out for support. Which is wonderful. And one of the statistics I did see was that younger individuals have a higher 
rate of going to therapy versus older people. And my other comment to that is, what about that show Shrinking? That's new. I think it's on Netflix or whatever. I think you and I were talking about this the other day. I love that show. And it also shows that therapists are normal people too. And they have struggles and they have had experiences, but that can hopefully add to the therapy or in my case, coaching that they provide. Right, right. Although that show does get a little crazy where the guy has the client come and live with him. So. Right. <laughs> Which probably... A little much. <laughs> but yes, no, it is a cute show if anybody's looking for a new show out there. So tell me a little bit more about what emotional focus therapy is for our listeners. It's a therapy that was designed or created by Sue Johnson. She's a Canadian woman. She basically focuses on couples and uses a lot of specific techniques. It's like a process with steps, and it requires a lot of training, this type of therapy, but it has a lot of success with couples. I think it's the most studied couples therapy out there. They did a lot of studies like immediately after therapy and then five years post-therapy and a lot of success that was achieved by the couples was sustained after five years. And basically it combines attachment. Love attachments, issues. And family systems and gestalt. It's a combination and it can be very effective with couples. Love that. And then also, what's EMDR? I feel like EMDR, I've had it, but for those who are listening, it's really gaining a lot of interest and a lot more people are being trained in EMDR. Tell us a little bit more about that. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. And it was developed, I believe, in the 80s. It's interesting because it's been studied quite a bit. The Veterans Association uses it. Veterans Administration uses it for returning combat vets because it's primarily for PTSD. But they don't really know why it works. So the bilateral stimulation is like basically you're having your eyes move back and forth, right? And the idea is that you're integrating left and right hemisphere in the memory pathways. So it is very good for trauma of all kinds. And then there's, I can't remember her name right now, but there's another therapist who took this model and started using it with attachment, with an attachment lens. So then then you can use it for relational trauma and different areas versus like a, a car accident or that kind of trauma. Then you can also apply it in emotional ways. It's an amazing tool. I love it. Thank you. It really helped me. I've had it a couple of times and it does help with trauma tremendously. So for those of you who are thinking about it, it doesn't hurt. It's not going to bring up past experiences to the point where you're going to have any pain and it does have amazing results. I would say it can bring up past experiences. But what it does is it reduces having to talk through and relive all of the details of a trauma. 
you can bypass that to some extent and rely on a negative cognition, a body sensation, and maybe images. We use those to kind of communicate directly with the nervous system versus having to talk and talk and talk and talk about things over long periods of time. Right. And in my experience, and I don't know about yours, but talk therapy, in my opinion, only goes so far. Right. Which is why I'm getting trained in somatic experiencing. And I think you've been trained in the bioenergetics, which is all somatic and relational work and the EMDR. I mean, I think that that, in my opinion, and tell me if I'm wrong, that that's kind of the direction that it seems that more therapists are moving in. Yes, it feels like our toolboxes are getting bigger and bigger because talk therapy is so effective in raising awareness and creating good, trusting relationships and different things. But when it's the nervous system that's involved, oftentimes having the awareness isn't enough to stop ourselves from having heart palpitations or feeling the desire to fight or flee or have a panic attack. Right. So we need the talk therapy piece, but then oftentimes we want to go in to the nervous system or the body and we just find all different ways to go in and support clients in their different issues. Well, and that's where I felt like I have really healed a lot of my past experiences in trauma is once I got into the body and once I had more experiential and somatic therapy. And that is, so I can't recommend that enough for anybody who's listening is to head in that direction. If you do have big T, little t traumas and that you're looking and you feel like talk therapy has only gotten you so far, I highly recommend it. So this is a question I want to ask. And I want to ask this question because it's a question that I wish I knew before I went into therapy, especially couples therapy. How is couples therapy different from individual therapy? Good question. So individual therapy, it's one-on-one, and it really focuses on, number one, building a safe relationship between therapist and client, providing a safe container so that the client can start to explore what are they struggling with? Is it emotional dysregulation? Is it relational problems, depression, anxiety? We want to go in and start to explore what's happening for them emotionally. Do we want to figure out the root of it? Maybe. Is it necessary to go back into the past? Often, yes. But we don't have to linger there. What we want to do is identify maybe why it happened and help them in their current day life. How are these things affecting my current choices, behaviors, and quality of life? And then, you know, help them heal and integrate and be able to be more in the present, not reacting to things that happened in their past. So that's the focus. And also just the focus being that the client generally knows the answer. They just don't have access to it. So the therapist is sort of helping them explore. With couples therapy, the client, we have two people in the room and the client is actually the relationship. Yes. So tell me more about that because that's a piece that I didn't get. 
when I was. It took me a while when I was in couples therapy to really figure that out. They didn't tell me that right up front. (laughs) Yes. And it's hard because people will want to start to process their own stuff in the couple's room. And sometimes that's necessary to really understand how it's impacting the relationship. But any work that gets done with the individual is on the path to heal the relationship, right? So we're always looking at, okay, this behavior or this trigger that a person has, they're highly defensive or they're highly sensitive or whatever it is that's become a problem relationally. We can work on it enough that that we can support the other partner in uh, how to be in relationship with this person who's having triggers and having issues uh, um, and just constantly keeping a lens on that. What is supporting the relationship? What needs to happen? A lot of times I refer people out for individual therapy. Sometimes I say, let's take a break on the couples therapy, go to individual therapy, come back to me in six months and let's see what we can do. That's not normally the case. But a lot of times I will refer them even to individual therapy while we're doing couples because individual stuff will get in the way of a healthy, open relationship. Right. Couples therapy isn't one person going in expecting the therapist to fix the other. Oh, (laughs) that's so beautiful. Because that's what I went into therapy for. But I had also reached rock bottom in my relationship. And I went into couples therapy because I wanted the therapist to fix my ex-husband. Yes. And isn't it amazing how that works? So that's something I always tell clients that it takes two. Each party brings in their baggage and their wounds and their core beliefs, and then they create this third entity. Yes. Sometimes there is one client who behavior has made a bigger impact on the relationship in a negative way. But in general, it takes two. They meet and they fit perfectly like a puzzle to trigger each other and create this dynamic that might not be healthy or fulfilling for either one of them. But the idea, I think everyone comes into couples therapy thinking that their partner needs to be fixed. And that is a rude awakening. (laughs) when they can't fix the other person and then they realize that, oh, maybe I'm part of the equation. Because like you said, it takes two. Yes, it does. It definitely does. So my next question is, can therapists give advice? Oh, they can, but it's not really that helpful. Why? Tell me more about that. Well, I touched on it a minute ago where... We need to empower our clients and really help them get in touch with their own sort of inner wisdom or their own knowing. Like I like to think of it as we all sort of know what's in our best interest at some level, but there are information, our ability to feel all of our emotions starts to get blocked by life and by past experiences. Yeah. Right. Times we've been hurt. And so by helping kind of unpack things with the client and helping them really connect with their own knowing, they are then empowered to figure out what their best path is. 
And yes, I absolutely, as a therapist or any therapist, can be there as a sounding board and to support in all different ways, but typically just providing the client with advice and a solution doesn't have a lot of success at the end of the day. Same in coaching too. Absolutely. But people do. People will. And if with my clients, if somebody asks me for my advice or asks me a question, I answer it, but I don't offer it. Well, sometimes I'll turn it back and say, what is it you're looking for? You know, but then sometimes if they're really pushing me, I'll say, well, I can tell you if it was me or my younger self, I might consider X, Y, Z, something like that. What's the significance of having a witness there on our healing journey versus trying to treat ourselves through self-help books, through listening to podcasts, through reading, any of that kind of stuff? Well, certainly there's always a place for self-help books and reading and journaling and meditating. And those things can be very supportive for a lot of people. But if, you know, there's a saying, wounds happen in relationships and they're healed in relationships. So oftentimes, I think one of the most common themes is that people who have struggled in their lives and their childhood have often felt alone and not supported. And so if I were to try to go back into my deepest wounds alone, there's not such an opportunity to rewire and to heal and to integrate as if I did it with somebody who was uh, a trusted ally, somebody I had confidence in, who cared about me and I felt safe with who can be there with me and join me in that pain in a way that allows me to heal and to integrate it. So it can be very powerful to have a witness, somebody with us. Thank you. Because I know a lot of people who either feel shame about reaching out to a therapist or a coach or don't have the financial means to, or don't want to spend the money on that, they try and heal themselves. And I agree with you, you know, meditation is great. Writing is great. I wrote a book that was very healing. All of those things are really wonderful resources and tools to use. But I really felt like some of my best healing was done with my therapist, with a coach, those kinds of things. That's what's really helped me too. I agree. What's the role of spirituality or religion in therapy? Well, there are certain therapists who advertise and offer like Christian-based therapy or other religions, um, which is fine. In traditional therapy, it's typically not something that will be brought up by the therapist or certainly the therapist doesn't seem appropriate even to share one's own beliefs in therapy. But I do notice that if a client shares that they have a faith or belief in a higher power or some sort of spiritual connection, that oftentimes we can take that and build on it and use it as a resource to help support them in their healing and that it can be very powerful. So it can play a role for sure. 
in a very positive way too. I guess it's like a kind of a reaction of like therapists bringing their own religious beliefs onto clients would be the big no-no. But if a client raises it and it's a part of their lives, I think that's great to be able to use it again as a source of comfort and resource. Yeah. I know my spirituality has helped me tremendously through my own healing and through my own therapy. So yes, thank you for that clarity. I think that that's important for people to know. So Tina, I want to thank you so much for being here. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how could they find you? They could go to my website, which is tinahartney.com. Perfect. And I will have all of her information in the show notes. So anybody who wants to reach out to her can. So I like to end all my interviews with asking my guests about a confession that they'd like to share. So what's one confession that you'd like to share with us? And what did you learn from it or what was your takeaway? Well, what came out in my own therapy was that I had cut off my own very vulnerable, scared, needy part because that wasn't really acceptable. And so I became so strong and so independent and I could take care of everyone and I didn't have any needs. And then I just couldn't sustain that anymore. And I had to, through working hard through therapy, reclaim that part of myself. And that was uh, scary and very rewarding at the same time. So that's something that I'm glad I could share. Thank you for sharing that. That's very vulnerable of you. Yes, I've learned. (laughs) I'm a good student. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Tina, for being here. I hope you'll come back and be a guest at some point in the future. We'll see everybody next time. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you for listening to this episode of Confessions of a Free Bird. I'm grateful to be in your ears and hearts. If you're interested in becoming a free bird, I'd love to support you. Please check out my website at lauriejames.com to learn how we can work together or to sign up for my newsletter so you can receive tips on how to date and relationship differently and ultimately find more freedom and joy in your life. If you found this podcast helpful, please follow or subscribe, rate, and review, and share it with friends so they can find more freedom in their second or third act also. Until next time.